The very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkoop is next on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. This is Steve Berger, Lead Counselor and Director of Contact Counseling Recovery Services. Despite being a fourth-generation Whatcom County resident from a solid, established family, when I was struggling with alcohol and drug addiction, my family didn't know where to turn to help. By the grace of God and a recovery program, I was able to get sober and have devoted the last 34 years of my life helping others find recovery from addiction. If you or a family member is struggling with substance abuse, please contact us at 360-671-3277 or contactcounseling.com. It keeps your workers warm. It keeps your heavy equipment running. It keeps your customers happy. Propane. Let us take the pain out of propane. We'll make sure your tanks are full so you don't have to. Skagit Farmers Supply provides safe, efficient delivery service for business, agriculture, and residential. Visit them today and see how they can keep you warm this winter at SkagitFarmers.com. You're used to bundling up this time of year, but outside, not in your own home. Hi, Joe T. in here for my friends at West Mechanical, heating, air conditioning, and electric, your independent train dealer. You won't have to wear a bulky sweater inside with a new train heating system that's a perfect fit. Their pros analyze your home and give you an honest assessment of your best options. And West Mechanical has some great financing options for up to 72 months. Subject to credit approval, call for details. If your system is still working, regular service by the West Mechanical pros will keep it in top condition for its longest life possible. And it's not too late to schedule an appointment. They check and service mine each year, and I'm confident we'll be comfortable all season long. The train comfort specialists at West Mechanical are the best of the best, and they back up their work with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Get to know the great folks at West Mechanical today at westmechanical.net. That's westmechanical.net. And remember, it's hard to stop a train. So what do people... In the world of Instagram, and other social media for that matter, what do they know about farming? Mm. Probably already have a sense of what that answer might be. <laughs> but an interesting case study unfolding, well, really as we speak, on Instagram uh, with a particular situation relating to a, a controversial, difficult issue here in Washington State and in farming right now. Um, and it all started. And welcome back. By the way, this is The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI, 790-96.5 FM in Bellingham. Uh, every Saturday morning here, we talk about farming issues during the 7 o'clock hour. So we're glad you're here and a little bit of the backstory. I, I work for Wycombe Family Farmers as well as Save Family Farming. I host the Real Food, Real People podcast. So I was out in Eltopia, Washington. When is this? Several weeks ago? Two months ago almost maybe? Visiting with Alan Schreiber. We uh, did a Real Food, Real People podcast episode with him. But while we were talking, he said, look, I, I just had this situation with cantaloupe. He grows 300 different things out there in Eltopia. A, a smaller family farm that grows all kinds of veggies for different levels of market. 
Um, some more widely distributed, some are farmer's market kind of stuff. Fascinating story. You should check out the episode at Real Food, Real People on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, realfoodrealpeople.org on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Check it out to, to hear the whole interview. But he was telling me about his cantaloupes. He had a field of cantaloupes that he had to leave unpicked because of the situation with overtime in our state. We've been talking about this, and we've been talking a lot about the impact that this has had on farm workers, but this is also the impact on farms and food waste, ultimately. Alan is going to join us here in just a second, but first, before we get into that, I, I want you to listen to the clip. This is Alan standing in his cantaloupe field. I think it's out somewhere between Basin City and Altopia. Take a listen to him explain just quickly what's happening here as he picks up a piece of perfectly good cantaloupe melon from the ground, carves it up with his knife, um, tries a bite of it, and explains why he had to leave all of these wonderful cantaloupe to rot. Take a listen to this. Okay, so why is this field so sitting here like this? This portion of the field... Uh, didn't get completely picked and we didn't have enough farm workers because we're short on farm labor and when things got busy it forced us into having to pay overtime so people working over 55 hours all my workers want to work at least 60 hours but I can't afford to pay overtime uh, so what happened was it, the labor costs jumped up by 50% when I had to pay overtime and so we grow a number of crops and this is the lowest value crop that we had and so we had to stop picking this one and just we can only afford to pick the ones that were of the highest value and so I estimate we left 3,000 boxes in here so that's maybe $57,000 worth of cantaloupe that was perfectly good to perfectly good to eat but we had to leave it talk about food waste too bad. I mean, you worked hard to grow this field. Well, I have all my input costs into this, and I had to walk away from it because I couldn't afford to, to pick it because we didn't have enough workers and we can't afford overtime. Okay, so there it was. That's me armed only with my cell phone out in a cantaloupe field in Altopia, Washington, with Alan Schreiber, who joins us on the phone right now. And by the way, uh, for folks who don't know about Alan, you can check out his full story at uh, the Real Food, Real People podcast. He grows all kinds of veggies, 300 different things uh, near Altopia, Washington, as well as leads the uh, uh, State Blueberry Commission. Uh, he's involved with the Asparagus Commission. He has his own research research firm has a huge background in a lot of things too much to list here alan welcome to the program this morning it's fascinating to see and i don't know if you've looked at the comments as i've shared this video clip that i just played here on the show and if people want to see it it's, it's at save family farming on instagram on facebook on twitter um it's fascinating to see how people are reacting to this they just can't compute how you had to make this decision explain for people you've thought this through it's not like you didn't consider any of the options am i right yes um we're we're picking um at that time we were picking you know 20 different uh items of produce um we're getting so many dollars a box it just so happens that cantaloupe was at 19 dollars a box and everything else was up in the in the 20s and so Roughly somewhere between a third to a half of my labor costs, I mean, a third to half of my production costs is, is labor. When all of a sudden my biggest cost 
doubles, uh, it makes it, it basically wipes out the profit margin. So, if and, I'm and now nice some to- people, just to put a finer point on that, real quick, some people have said, "Well, it, overtime doesn't double his labor costs. It's only for any hours over um, this year, fifty-five hours. Next year, of course, it's forty-eight. The year after that, it's forty. Um, they're saying, well, that doesn't double your labor costs. But f- if you end up in the situation like you did this time, where the entire field would have to be picked on overtime hours, it absolutely does increase the labor cost by fifty percent. Okay, so if you look at um, so so they're they're right. It that that is is correct up into a point. Um, so if you work, you know, basically what happens is if you work um, on our hours, and and by the way, our farm workers set the hours. We don't tell them what time to show up. They they pick their their time. We just tell them how many hours they can work. And so basically, what happens? They start working. You know, maybe at six o'clock on Monday morning. But by the time they hit 55 hours, you know, sometime on Saturday, we normally would work a full day on Saturday, but we quit early. It is that time, uh, like on Saturday afternoon, there's going to be five or six hours that we go into overtime. And so what we, so there's a time that there's a portion of the week that we get forced into overtime. And uh, so we, we don't have enough workers and we can't afford that, that overtime. So there's five or six hours in a week that we, we don't work that we could have worked previously. And so I have to pick and choose uh, what I can afford to pick. And you leave the lowest value crop in the field. And that, in that case, it was cantaloupe. And it's 3,000, to think about this, it's 3,000 boxes of, and they're 35, 35 uh, pounds. So it's a little over a little over 100,000. Is that my, is my math right? Anyway, we'll figure it out. But 3,000 times 35 yeah. pounds is how many pounds yeah. are left in the field. Well, and a lot of people, I mean, regardless of the numbers, a lot, it's incredible to me, this phenomenon on social media. And by the way, this is The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop with Save Family Farming, talking with Alan Schreiber right now. Uh, he is a fruit and vegetable farmer out in Altopia, Washington, uh, among many other hats that he also wears. Um it's fascinating to me. People, these armchair quarterbacks on social media start commenting. And, you know, I think for many of them, it maybe does come from a good place. They want to find a solution and they're bothered by this situation as they should be. This is food waste. This isn't this isn't right. There needs to be a better way. But a lot of them are thinking, well, here, you know, they're doing simple math of, well, your cost should be this or that, or they're mind reading saying, well, you just don't care about your workers and don't want to pay overtime. Never mind that you said you'd actually lose money. If you keep losing money, you go out of business. Nobody has a job then. Um, but one of the big issues, and we can get into some of the, the critiques or questions or ideas that people have, I, I think this is a worthy conversation to have, even if some of the comments are kind of ridiculous. A lot of them are ridiculous. But, Alan, first, one of the big things is, well, you should allow gleaners into the field or people, uh, you know, advertise it to the general public to have them come out and harvest this. And either you can make money from them or you can donate it to them so at least it's not wasted or gleaners can give it to the homeless or whatever. Respond to that. This is a big part of farming that most people do not understand right now. All of the layers of challenges to ever even doing something like that. Well, okay. So this was, in this case, this was a 32-acre field that had two plantings in it. So there's an earlier planting and a late planting. And there are eight varieties in each planting. So there's like 16 different items in this field. 
And so it was it was a uh, it was a section in the first planting. And um, first of all, if you go out in the field, you had to walk in a certain spot in a row. Uh, you don't want to walk up on the hill. You don't want to step on the uh, lay flat. Uh, you have to walk in a certain situation. Um, and in general, what we've found is if anyone goes in here, they end up will rip up and destroy the field. They'll walk, pick the wrong things. And the second issue is uh, if we have people go in the field, for the most part, that's going to be a big food safety violation. We have to watch to make sure they wash their wash their hands. We have to give them food safety training. We have to give them sa- other kind of safety trainings. There's a lot of rules in there, and all this would take uh, a lot of time and effort at a time when we are flat out running busy and we don't have time to do this. Now, we it have- would take more time to administer all of that than it would even to just go in and harvest, which you're saying you didn't have the time for. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is is this. So there's a there's a there's a folks around here called Field of Grace that are gleaners. Mm-hmm. Now those guys are professionals and and they're trained, um, but right now they're they are not gleaning. There are no uh, there are no gleaners in this area. We've had Fields of Grace come out and do some gleaning. But to have gleaners come, they've got to be trained in, like, I'll say with air quotes, professionals, like field, Fields of Grace. Um, but they, they, there are now no gleaners in my area to mm. do that. Mm. Well, and that's something that per- perhaps could be addressed. But even, you know, for gleaners, you're talking, were we estimating something like 25,000 melons that you had to leave? How no, is, no, no, it would be... Um, well, no, you're right. It's um, at 10, yeah, you're right. Twenty-five to thirty thousand. I mean, they'd have to. I mean, they got to come out. They got to have pallets. And they have to have a forklift, and you know, they have yep. to. You know, they've got it. They have to have trailers. Uh, it's it's a pretty serious logistical. I mean, they're going to have to have trucks and trucks to haul us out. Yeah, and you'd have to probably then, I would imagine, document a cold chain uh, for, and then where are you going to store it before you distribute well, that many melons to people to make sure they're safe. All that. Well, there, there. I, I think there is the back end of it. There's second harvest. We last year, uh, we uh, we delivered, you know, well over a hundred thousand pounds of second harvest. So we we do that when we can and when it makes financial sense. But we're in a situation where, you know, these melons. When we made the decision to not pick those melons, they had a three day window to get them picked. And I doubt that, you know, we don't have the time. I mean, in a perfect world, it, I would love to have those gleaned. I would love to have those go to people that need food to eat. But it's just not logistically possible to – and it also, it will be a nightmare if untrained people come in and, and do this. And I know people have good intentions, and it just seems like a travesty, and they're trying to make this jump about how to make it work. But trust me, yeah. no one is better at getting those melons out of the field than I am. No one would be better thinking about plan B or plan C. And I'm telling you, plan B and plan C was not an option in this case. But it wasn't that you hadn't thought that through. And that, that's the basic assumption that really rubs me the wrong way, to think that these armchair quarterbacks on social media really think that what do, do they think you're stupid that you didn't think all of that now, through? Of course you no, thought that through. No, what I think is these are people with good intention. They're not malevolent people. It probably pains them to 
think about all this perfectly good food. And one of the things I noticed was when you were playing that back, I could hear myself eating that cantaloupe as I was talking. I have a mouthful of that cantaloupe. It was a little <laughs> embarrassing in retrospect. But these are folks with good intention that hate the idea of this food going to waste. And they're what eloquently or not ineloquently are saying, what about this? What about this? What about that? And I'm telling you, we thought about it. And there's nobody that is sicker about this than me. I saw that every morning, every afternoon for the rest of the season, those melons out there that could have been picked but wasn't. But I'm telling you, if we would have had a, a if we would have a better guest worker policy in this country, which we don't, or if we didn't have overtime, all those melons would have been picked and somebody would have ate them, every single one of them. Absolutely. Again, we're talking with Alan Schreiber. He is a fruit and veggie farmer out in Eltopia, Washington. He also helps lead the uh, Washington State Blueberry Commission, uh, Asparagus Commission. Uh, he has his own research firm out there. He does a lot of different stuff. Um, has a PhD for crying out loud. Uh, this is no slouch that we're, we're dealing with here that we're talking about in this video that we share. And by the way, if you want to see what we're talking about, we shared this video. It's been a couple of weeks now and this video just keeps growing. People keep commenting even, you know, this morning more, we're over 50,000 plays the last time I checked. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. So I don't even know this morning, how many comment, you know, hundreds of comments. It's it's frustrating, but it's a good thing for the robber to meet the road here, for people to start looking at the reality, because a lot of people have pie-in-the-sky ideas, and that's great, but the reality is so much more complicated, and this story and you sharing that uh, from your farm standing in that field has created a moment here where people can actually grapple with the reality a little bit and realize that the solutions aren't maybe as easy as they think which I think we've got to get to is to get beyond the, you know, the soundbite social media uh, comment culture that just thinks, oh, this is easy. You know, those those farmers should just do this or do that. OK, uh, there's more to it. One thing that you didn't mention or that we didn't talk about, even with, with the idea of people coming out, whether it's gleaners, uh, whether it's you pickers or whoever, the public coming out to the field. Uh, another issue uh, is liability, too. A lot of people don't think about the, the liability element. You know, if someone were to get hurt or anything like that, if you're not set up for agritourism, which is a whole expensive investment unto itself, there's that whole issue. Um, I mean, well, the list I'll, I'll goes you, on. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that my, um, my umbrella insurance policy is not set up for um, being a U-pick. Yeah. And how expensive would that policy be if you did? It would be probably more expensive than anything you would make off of that fruit in, in a situation like this, potentially, unless you were to entirely change your operation to focus on agritourism, which is a different game. So, And, and if you were sued, even if you were in the right, even if you prevailed in court, you would still probably lose money having to defend yourself, plus the possible bad press, plus the, the loss of reputation, uh, you know, the damaged reputation unfairly. But, and that could lose customers. I mean, it, people need to think about all the things that could happen and the risks that just don't make that worth it. Another thing that I want to throw at you, though, Alan, is some people are saying, ah, oh, this guy's just looking for a write-off. Um, he didn't, he wasn't able to get as much as he wanted. He didn't want to pay his workers that much. So instead of doing what they say is quote unquote, the right thing, 
he just was is going to take a write off here. Ex- respond to that. There's no way I can write that off. That 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 is just a pure a pure loss for me. I mean, whoever says that it's it's a silly. It's 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 not a write off. It's it's it is purely an economic loss for me. And how so, would you write it off? I mean, if I recall, you know, you're talking to me about your farm operation. It's like you don't know in the in the thick of it whether you're even going to make or lose money in a given year. I mean, I remember that growing up. It was the same way on my dad's berry farm. It's like I, we don't know this year, and sadly it was too many years. Um, we don't know this year if, we're, if there's going to be a profit or a loss at the end right. of the year. If you have a loss or even if you break even, you can't write anything off even if it was possible because there's nothing to write off. <laughs> Uh, that is, I mean, that's that's true. I mean, th- that field is, uh, you know, that field's gone. It's not, it's not. Uh, we've taken it out uh, at this point, but you know, we're still, um, we're, we, you know, we don't yet yet know if we're going to be in the black or in the red this year. And uh, th- this is not something that is a, a write-off. On the bottom line here, again, back to where we started, talking with Alan Schreiber, a fruit and vegetable farmer, grows over 300 different things out near Eltopia, Washington, and I featured him on the Real Food, Real People podcast. Um, following up on this video, this social media post on Instagram and Facebook that everyone's commenting on has kind of sort of gone viral. Um, the bottom line is we were talking about overtime and the issue that our state's new overtime laws don't allow any flexibility for seasonality. And even though you probably don't have any work for folks for months in the winter and they want to make as much money as they can when you do have work for them in the summer, the new restrictions say, well, you can only do so much and then your costs go up by 50%. It doesn't help the workers because they aren't able to make as much money as they can, uh, as they want to when the work is there. And it puts you in a position like this where you have to make hard decisions on what you keep. And this is, this is what needs to change and what's been so tone deaf uh, in, in Olympia. I will tell you the phone call that I made before this one was to a labor contractor because... I have, in order to be viable, I'm going to have to reduce the hours of my workers next year because, look, when when we have to go into time and a half, I'm not getting paid more for that fruit. I mean, my right. the, sing, the single biggest cost I have is labor by far. It's often as much as all my other costs combined. And when that goes up by 50%, all of a sudden at the, like the end of the week, the amount I get paid for that produce stays the same. And so... We're being forced to reduce the hours, which means reduce the income of our workers. And for the first time, I the call just before you, this is a coincidence, was to a labor contractor to see if I can bring in some more workers so I can keep my average hours per worker to 48 hours. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. be- before time and a half came, they got 60. Last year, we tried to hold to 55. Now we got to push it back to 48. Nobody is happy with this. Our farm workers aren't happy with it. I'm not happy with it. And now I'm having to bring in some temporary labor to cover that additional time. It's crazy. Alan, thank, we're out of time. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for being willing to share this story and um, show the world kind of that there's a lot more to a situation like this than initially meets the eye. We really appreciate it. Best of luck to you and uh, stay in touch. All right. Thank you. 62. 63. 
64, Medicare. So many of us get hung up on our age, but what we fail to realize, we've been paying for health insurance since we were old enough to work, which means we may actually be getting a raise once we're on Medicare. Sound complicated? Let D&D Insurance help make the complicated task of enrolling for your health insurance a little less complicated. I'm Derek, and my wife Denise and I, along with our amazing staff of family and friends, keep things running here at D&D Insurance. We try to help anyone and everyone navigate this ever-changing world of health insurance. Whether you're retiring and trying to figure out Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage plans, an employer looking for better benefits for your employees, or you're self-employed and needing a plan for yourself and family, we're here to help. Give us a call at 392-8159. See you at D&D Insurance, where we try to make the complicated uncomplicated. Now you can mow, dig, grade, haul, and more with the perfect solution for your property, a Branson tractor. Save your back and your wallet with one of our compact but powerful tractors here at Farmers Equipment Company. Stop by and choose from our full line of Bransons to take on your toughest tasks. With tractors from 19 to 55 horsepower, we have a Branson compact or utility tractor that is perfect for you. Want to use a rotary cutter to tame that tall brush on your property? You can do that. What about snagging a scoop from that pile of gravel to maintain your driveway free of potholes? You can do that too. Branson's six-year warranty along with our factory-trained technicians will make sure your new tractor is always running great. Get the tractor you want and the peace of mind you need at Farmers Equipment Company. To learn more, visit us online at FarmersEquip.com or stop by our locations in Linden or Burlington today. Farmers Equipment Company, serving the Pacific Northwest for over 86 years. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Will Olympia do the right thing for farm workers? That's the question right now. Decision makers in Olympia specifically, at least right now, at this juncture... Uh, The lawmakers who are on the Washington State Senate Labor and Workforce or Labor and Commerce, that's the right word, Labor and Commerce Committee, um, they have a decision to make this coming week 
about whether we will continue as a state to look at bringing relief to farm workers who have been hurt by the state's new overtime law. We've talked about this several times here on the program, the problems with it, Um, the problem with forcing uh, a system of overtime pay that's based on 40-hour-a-week office and factory jobs onto farming, which as we know, ebbs and flows in its busyness based on the seasons and the weather and crops. I mean, you know, Mother Nature. Uh, and there are busy times and slow times. It doesn't fit. This 40-hour-a-week thing doesn't fit with that lifestyle or the needs of farm labor to get harvests in. The upshot has been that farm workers, uh, because farms just... They aren't able to pay that much more for their labor. And the advocates of this all along have have tried to say, oh, farmers just need to step up and pay. Um, The reality is costs continue to increase for farms. Returns are decreasing. You know, people in tree fruit uh, for, you know, apples and cherries and things like that, in some cases seeing the same prices that they were getting 10 years ago and, and, you know, we experience that here in Western Washington in in the berry crops as well. Um, it's not that there's a huge pot of money there to just suddenly pay a, a huge percentage more for work. So the reality is, farms have to manage this by saying, "Okay, uh, you only get so many hours," um, and that has led to workers not getting the kind of work and the kind of paychecks that they want. Joining me right now. Uh, with WAFLA, labor organization here in the state, is Enrique Gastelum. We've had him on the program here recently talking about uh, federal changes to the H-2A guest worker program. But Enrique, you grew up in this world. You, your family it was farm workers, right? You you know this world. Yes. Yeah. Good morning, Dylan. Yeah, my family uh, grew up out in Sunnyside, Washington. Um, uh, my father was a farm worker for nearly three decades working in the farming community in uh, potatoes, corn, uh, onion fields and stuff like that. And, you know, remember routinely for many, many years as he worked in that industry, he was his life was built around the seasonality of how our various crops, you know, during planting and harvest worked. And um, I don't really ever remember my dad complaining much about, (laughs) you know, Hey, it's summertime, it's planted time, we work extra because he then during the winter with his, you know, employers and, and the farmers he was working with, they enjoyed their time off. He would typically, you know, head back to Mexico, visit my grandma, my family and relatives that were over there. And and that was just that was just he knew that was the relationship they had together. And you got the work done when needed to. Sometimes you put in sixty hours, seventy hours, depending on what they were working on, but it, it all averaged out uh as the year went along and you know when when overtime was getting passed in our state and I really started thinking about the impacts I tried to put myself in my father's shoes and and while he spent you know three decades working for this this farming company that that took care of him very well for many many years and you know when he was stricken with the Alzheimer's took care of his health care mm. until he passed away and a pension um, I think it would have upset him that somebody was telling him he could not work a certain amount. Um, and, and he knew the farm was operating on certain margins and, 
you know, they, they were getting told what they would get paid for their potatoes, you know, prior to sometimes even the year starting and they had to operate within those means. And, and then to, you know, imagine your, your employer coming to you and saying, you can only work 50 hours. You yeah. can only work 40 hours. That, that would have affected us at home dramatically. Yeah. Right? Far, farmers. And that's a, I, an important part of this whole situation that, that you correctly mentioned there too. Farmers can't just say, well, our labor costs have gone up because we're paying overtime now. So you're going to have to pay us more for our berries, our potatoes, our apples, you name it. It doesn't work sure. that way in, in the, the marketplace with farming and you know a lot of people probably feel that it should but that is just not the reality right now so that has to come out of your bottom line and with as tight as things get you know especially for the small operators now you know i'm hearing from farms that are saying hey if we really have to do this we we can't continue in business correct yeah when when you're labor intensive agriculture you know i've seen data and people produce stuff you know labor costs are you know, 50 to 70, 80% of what they're doing. And, hmm. and when you're operating on a, you know, five to nine, five to eight, five to 9% profit margin each year, um, seeing, you know, the wages going up year over year by, you know, 10%, 15% in many cases. And then now you stack year over year overtime threshold on top of that. It, it, the squeeze is coming from somewhere. So what do you do? Yeah. Well, you ha- you're forced to cap people's hours because the marketplace says, this is what we're going to pay you. And if you don't like it, well, if we can get the fresh produce, the fruit internationally, we'll just buy from the international customers. Yeah. yeah. And what are, and, what, what are workers getting paid there in those foreign countries? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, waffle in the case of what we do with H2A, we know when they come to the United States, they're earning five to 13 times what they would in their home country. So, of course, those farms have a severe advantage cost-wise over our U.S. farmers. And so any squeeze and pinch um, and inflation on, on operating inputs and cost here in the U.S. places a dramatic uh, – um, puts them puts them behind, uh, gives them a major disadvantage uh, to the international produce that's coming in. And, you know, in 2022, I believe, you know, we, we started – we kind of hit our tipping point now where more certain commodities, we had more fresh fruits and vegetables coming in than produced here in the U.S. And it's sad, right? Yeah. And I think here in Washington, if we – continue if we don't do something to balance out this uh, rapidly decreasing threshold of ag overtime um, it's going to keep first it's going to keep hurting the most uh, you know the people we say we're trying to help our workers and inherently it's going to continue hurting our farmers you know this is an issue i've been hearing for the last year workers and employers and labor intensive ag are all of the same mindset they do not like this it is not a balanced approach they feel they were forced to deal with this because of a few people's mindsets as to they thought they know better. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, seasonal ag is not like year-round fixed employment that some people are used to. Enrique Gastelum is our guest right now here on The Farming Show on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Now, okay, what you're explaining here is, bottom line, if you care about local food and producing food here domestically and in Washington State, if you care about family farms and and smaller farms and all of that, you need to care about this issue. But also, if you care about workers, you need to care about this issue. And I think this is the hang-up where a lot of people have a a hard time understanding and, and 
I don't blame them because it's complicated and it feels counterintuitive. How is overtime hurting workers? It was supposed to be helping workers. Um, but again, as you explain, hours are being cut just because farms have to manage their costs to stay in business, not because they're, you know, as some have claimed, trying to get rich off the back of workers that they're exploiting, which is awful, you know, nasty language that isn't true. Um, but that's that's the reality here. If you care about where it's, it's been a good thing, I think, on the whole, that more and more people are caring about how are farm workers being treated? How are the people who grow our food being treated? Are they being treated fairly? Do they have a safe uh, and equitable workplace? That's all good. So if you care about that, you need to care about this issue and about listening to what those actual workers have to say about how they feel about this particular issue. Now, the state, I guess it's starting in the state Senate, both both sides of uh, the legislature in Olympia are looking at something on this. Explain what's going on in Olympia right now. Yeah, so this, the, the, the bill language that has um, been uh, dropped and will be discussed in the uh, Senate committee this next week uh, on February the 9th is a topic that was originally introduced when the first ag overtime bill um, was passed in our state in, in, in 2021. And it, it had a provision talking about a seasonality exemption. So it says, okay, well, at least as one idea or option to allevi- alleviate some of the pressure of the increasing labor costs and hopefully workers still being able to take home some money, let's let a, an employer predetermine a 12-week production window, uh, a short season, where instead of uh, overtime, say, like in 2023 being paid at 48 hours, it would not kick in until 50 hours. So it would offer some relief. Uh, I would beg to argue, I believe it needs to be higher, likely 55 or 60, but the current draft language that is going to be looked at and discussed is at 50. So that's what it, that's the concept behind it is an employer would notify a worker some predetermined time out, you know, maybe say 30 days or whatnot. Uh, hey, during this uh, four-week window or eight-week window or 12-week window, uh, we're, we're, we're going to, you know, pay overtime at 50 hours. And the workers would obviously agree if that's what they want to be employed at and, and get paid during that time. And then the employer would be on the hook for that. And then once that uh, seasonal window is done, then you go back to whatever the state-mandated uh, ag overtime threshold would be. This is The Farming Show on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop talking with Enrique Gastelum with uh, WAFLA, labor organization here in Washington State, also in Oregon as well. Um, so what you're saying is this would this measure would allow workers during busy season to make more money, get more hours that are available at that busy time. That's correct, yeah, and, and still allow them to at least still realize some of the hours that they've been accustomed to, or at least first let the employer decide, is it still financially feasible? You know, we may still, if this goes somewhere, have some farmers determine it's not, but, you know, a farmer says, yeah, I can still cover it. And then, uh, you know, they, they operate and then the worker would still, you know, they get to work those extra hours that the farmers make it available for them. I, I agree with you about this bill. I think this is something that needs to be supported. This is something that needs to happen. I also would like to see more because I know when I was working on the farm, I, <laughs> I wanted to get as many 
hours as I possibly could. And I right. knew that, you know, well, at, at that point, there was no time and a half. But I know if there would have been. Well, I, honestly, I've experienced this even outside of the farming world. I mean, let's be honest. You look at big corporations. I used to work for a corporation uh, that will remain nameless in this conversation. Yes. <laughs> but the reality is when these thresholds are set, what happens? Your hours get reduced. I remember it was the same thing with insurance requirements. You know, for, I was working part time, but I was getting quite a few hours. And then the insurance requirements were, well, you had to provide insurance for workers if they're working more than 30 hours a week. Well, then guess what? My hours got cut to 25 hours a week <laughs> You right. know, because, this, of the, because of the cost tied to that benefit. Right. right. Exactly. Rather than helping me, it ended up hurting me more. And I still had to buy my own insurance and I had even less money to do it. You know, so this <laughs> happens time and again. And you can say whether it's right or wrong on the part of the employer. The reality is farmers are squeezed so tightly uh, economically already that presents that challenge. And, you know, back again, as a worker, I just wanted to get as many as possible. I wanted to get 60 hours a week if I could. Um, right. and, and, and especially and, when I was working on the farm during harvest time, because we were all part of a team, you know, and, and it was a family farm and it was my family and the other workers. And we all wanted to get the job done, get the fruit in. And because we knew that soon harvest would be over and we'd go on vacation or go back to school or travel or, you know, if we're year round employees, we'd go back to a, a slower schedule. Right. And, and this doesn't isn't just impacting our domestic workers we've known for for at least a decade we have a serious serious labor supply shortage so we've supplemented that with h2a workers so imagine a worker that's come on a contract for five or six months and they have traveled thousands of miles away from their family friends communities to come and earn money and they're being told, yeah, sorry, you're only going to be able to work 48 hours this week. And so now they're just sitting in their housing board, wanting and demanding to work. But the employer's like, look, I can't I can't afford that. Uh, the overtime premium that it would be for you to work the extra five hours or 10 hours. And so now we're even getting some frustration being voiced by many, many of our H2A workers have grown accustomed to, I mean, this is their time to earn their money for their livelihood, to take back home and help them and their family survive for an entire year. Yeah, And they're not here to waste their time. They are coming to work. Well, and, and really, if you think about it, again, people across the economy will do things like that. Let, let's say that, you know, I work in some field that, hey, has an opportunity for eight months to go to Dubai, and it's going to kind of suck because I'll be away from my family, but I'll make bank, you know, money that right. I couldn't make here. Well, of course I do that. But then I wouldn't, once I arrived there, be told, well, you can't work too much and you can't actually make that much money because while we're looking out for you to, you know, that would just be super frustrating. And the same for these folks, you know, that come here as guest workers. Again, like you're saying, they just want to come here, work, make as much money as they can and go back home. Yes. Uh, very, very frustrating. And again, Enrique Gaslam with Wafla is with us on the program. So what people can do do and it's very important uh, you know if we can hear from farm workers and you're hearing from folks i'm hearing from folks like you said you're hearing people who are frustrated with this angry 
um, about where the law has gone without considering the particulars of the situation of agriculture, those people can speak out, right, at this hearing coming up on Thursday. Yeah, not just can, but have to. You're, you're, folks, if you're a farm worker, if you are a farmer, your story is not being told in Olympia right now. And this is your opportunity to set the record straight and let these representatives for our state that have the power to do something on this bill, let them know what you are experiencing. Let them know the negative impacts that this law is having on your livelihood. I mean, right now in 2023, you go to the grocery store, you spend a hundred bucks, you're only walking home with two bags of groceries. Mm. You cannot afford to be losing hours right now and having a less paycheck going home. And so farmers, growers out there, if you've got workers Get with them, ask them if they're wanting to go and testify. You can testify in person in Olympia. You can do it remote. Uh, all of the ag associations are speaking right now to talk about how to get information out to people uh, so you can get clear, good instructions on on how to testify. Yep. I know, say, family farming is going to be putting stuff out, but yep. we have got to tell our story and stop allowing others to speak mistruths about what is really going on. And uh, from what I understand, even if someone doesn't want to testify, doesn't actually want to speak, even just showing up in the room down there in Olympia, being there, showing their face and saying, we're here and this is important to us, um, that's a, a powerful message as well. And even if someone can't go there, even if someone can't doesn't want to speak you know, on Zoom or, or whatever the, the online uh, video conference ability to testify, even to just go onto the website uh, for the state legislature and sign into the hearing as pro in favor of this bill, uh, which is Senate Bill 5476, um, and sign in in favor of that bill as, as pro, and then even just mark, no, you don't want to testify, that still sends a message. Um, the more people that uh, that committee can see care about this issue and support um, this measure, uh, the more chance uh, we'll have here to have this taken seriously. So this is important stuff. It's go time for this issue. And um, Enrique, thanks for, for taking the time to be with us here uh, this morning on the program and, and for all the work that you do, uh, helping empower people to be able to make a living, to make money, to to better their lives. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dylan. I appreciate it.